0: Hello and welcome back to the pretty serious bike racing podcast. It is Monday, July twenty fourth. We have just finished the Tour de France, Homme. and man, it's been a, it's been a very busy week. I think for the last few days, the last show we did, I called it something like, "How is it still this close?" The Tour de France was not close anymore since uh, in between then and now. There's so much to talk about there. Meanwhile, the Tour de France Femme is underway. All kinds of things to talk about there, too. And I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to talk about those things with my fellow analysts. I'm Dane Cash, and as ever, I'm joined by Cosmo Catalano, cycling analyst extraordinaire. Cosmo, great to see you.
1: Great to see you, too.
0: And back on the show after three weeks away, we are... Happy to be joined again by former pro, oh, darn it, Ruth, I didn't I didn't come up with a, a result to hype this week. Uh, I'll just say your name while I'm looking here. Ruth Winder, uh, you know, former pro, f- current gravel pro, right? I mean, you're not really a former pro, you're from a road pro, former World Tour road pro, but you're always riding. Uh, great to see you again, Ruth.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Don't worry about a result. It's okay. If you want to see my results, everybody, you can go to Pro Cycling Stats, which I'm sure is scrolling right
0: now. <laughs> he, he is. He is scrolling right now, and he refuses to um, to give up on this one. You were, uh, uh, you were um, let's see here, you were second at the Lotto Belgium Tour. Have I done that one yet?
2: Well, oh, that's an that old one, 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 I think.
0: Yeah. I, I think I said that you won a stage, but I don't know that I ever said that you were second on GC. So nice job there. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. Really quickly, before we continue with the show, before we talk about all the great bike racing, I got to tell you, you should head on over to escapecollective.com slash join and become a member so that you can support us in this podcast and all the podcasts we do. We'll talk the placeholders geek warning and everything we do over at escapecollective.com dot com. All those things are member funded. So we'd love to have you as a member if you already are a member. Thanks. We're very grateful. And if you're not. Yeah. Maybe think about becoming one. It's pretty easy. Escape dot com slash join. Check it out. All right. Let's talk Tour de France men first the race is over. Somehow, the race is over. It it really, that last week, lots lots happened. And it feels like, first of all, a ton of things happened since the, the last show we did. I know Cosmo might have a different opinion on that, but we'll get to that in a second. But also, Adam Yates and Simon Yates going head-to-head to win that you know early stage, that feels like an eternity ago. And somehow, here we are. We're at the end of the Tour de France, uh, and... We have a winner. We have the defending champion did indeed defend his title. Jonas Vinkigo is your Tour de France winner 2023. Tadej Pogacar, valiant effort. The two-time winner was unable to dethrone Jonas Vinkigo and Adam Yates finishing third overall. We had some stage hunting battles in the last few days after the GC was kind of set. And then Jordi Mayos in the last day. I think Kind of, I have to say, he kind of stunned the world a little bit. I was not expecting him to beat. Yes, I think he was Philipson. surprised. He was
1: surprise yeah, anyway. as like, surprised as surprised. He like turned and looked at everyone else and was like, "Was that me? Did I win this? <laughs> did, I, like... <laughs> did I do that?"
0: So lots of lots of great action, and let's get into it. So, like I said, so much has happened since we last talked. I think the race was impossibly close when we last talked, and then all of a sudden, it wasn't. And the race winning margin that Jonas could go had was massive. So. I, to me, it just seems like how did we how do we have a conversation one week ago where where we were talking about how close it was,
1: but here we are. Yeah, I, I mean, here we are, and it didn't seem like you know you could you could have gone on vacation for two days or failed to keep up with the tour for two days, which I think is a normal human being thing to do and suddenly tune back in and be like, what, what just happened and continue to see racing that was as closely contested at the top of the GC as you had seen before. It really came down to really just one terrible day in the mountains for Pagachar and a TT that the Vingigo won convincingly. Uh, but that, you know, that, that margin, that kind of under two minute margin, like that is in my head, uh, still a pretty close tour to France in the third week. Um, and it just, it really stresses how much the Tour de France is an event that you can test, you know, to not lose every day, except possibly, you know, in a time trial where you can, There there isn't that, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is even racing in a time trial. You don't want to go out super hard and then explode and then lose the Tour de France. But it, it really stresses that it's not... So much about winning as it is about not losing, because I think you could argue Tadej Pogacar won a lot of just looking at mountain stage finishes. He he won, I think most of them, and had it gained the most time, but ended up losing the race by eight minutes. So, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. With with uh, really just one really bad day. I mean, the time trial, as much as Jonas Vingegaard was dominant, I, I I would love to. I, I was doing it right away, I feel like, after the stage ended, and I think we should keep doing it. Push back on this narrative that Pogacar had a bad day in the time trial because he crushed Wout Van Aert, who is a damn good time trialist. He was more than a minute ahead of Wout Van Aert on that stage. He destroyed the entire peloton, except Jonas Vingegaard.
1: I, w- I want to push back on the pushback, though, because Pogachar didn't look... The, the, I think Kaylee might have said the thing that, that was the most resonant. He looked kind of like uh, Remco in the Giro at the TT. He did he, look rough. Yeah. He looked really not great. He looked, you, you kind of like one of those, you, you see him in the dining hall in the morning before class and you're like, bro, what did you do last night? <laughs> like that kind of hung over, not quite right sort of look to him.
0: I agree with that. I, I do think if you're hearing in your ear the entire time that Jonas Vingo is crushing you, you might not feel <laughs> that great. Yep. And also, That's... if you come to the dining hall the next morning, you can still say, "Oh yeah, I beat Wat Van Aert by more than a minute in a time trial." So, again, <laughs> pretty good. But Vingegaard was just amazing. And then, yeah that 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 bad day was a real was a real bad day, and that was it. And I am glad he bounced back. I'm glad Pagotto bounced back to to take a stage on the you know penultimate day of the race, because it said that it really was just a bad day. Because then he was great on the Markstein. Uh, But yeah, everything seemed to really hinge on that one big day. And if you missed it, you would wake up and say, what the heck happened? Did he crash? No. Just wasn't feeling great. So I think I asked my my fellow analysts to come up with sort of some moments that stood out. And mine, I'll just go right here because it's a good time to bring it up. To me, the moment that stood out in the final week was Tyler Pogatra getting on the radio and saying, I'm gone, I'm dead. One, because it was the only time I think, well first time maybe second time there weren't a lot of times where the radios added much value this was to me this was great to, to actually be able to hear him going on the radio and sort of calling it um and then just watching him drop like a stone which was which a huge bummer but at the same time it was definitely the moment i think of the race because uh, after that tt i'm still thinking oh he can get back two minutes in the mountains it's Teddy pogacar no that didn't happen
2: I didn't believe he was going to bring it back, to be honest, just watching his body language. And sure, like he'd been kind of clawing back a little bit of time here and there. But the way he was doing it was just in like these really explosive moments before the finish. But every time it was a bit longer, he wasn't creating more of a gap he was just getting the gap in this like explosive moment and then kind of maintaining this um but like somebody was asking me oh what if he had attacked sooner on some of these climbs and gone for longer and i just think that vindigo was going to get back on his wheel and we saw that um and that was just going to keep happening and vindigo was just really excited for the last week and just after that time trial and seeing His body language um so one of my favorite moments too was definitely when he did come back to win because after that day on the time trial and which again it's kind of like oh you know yeah he still had a really solid ride but I think when you watch a rider and we've been watching him for so long and knowing that maybe it wasn't his best ride and then to see him kind of fall apart but then still fight for a a win just two days later uh, yeah it was pretty exciting I thought this was a great tour
0: I think there's been a couple of times where we've seen a rider kind of like have a mountain a collapse on a mountain day, and then from that point on they might even just leave the race like it's it's so bad. Um, that didn't happen, and I'm really glad that didn't happen. I'm glad that Piccata not only stayed in the race but was great within a couple of days. So that I think made things very entertaining.
1: I think Piccata actually it was rumored to say he wanted to leave, and and Erska, his, his his partner was like, "No, you can't leave. This is the Tour de France." And it, it, I think there was just a lot of, I think his social structure around him, it like really held him held him up and carried him through to, to have that stage 20 victory. I can remember the he talked about, he kept talking about Mark Soler's angry eyes uh, on the day where he was just completely shattered. Like, if you don't make it to the finish line today, I will destroy you guys. Like, it was very strange. You know, I think of it always as, you know, you're there to support the rider, the, the the leader of your team, and sometimes that support is if you don't make it through here and find a way, I will smash you, and uh, it seemed to work. It was, it was.
0: Yeah, that was a great, great yeah. quote, uh, Ruth. Speaking of great quotes, tell me about your moment that stood out.
2: Yeah, I think Mahorik's interview was pretty amazing, and just the way he won. I think we had some fun breakaway days, and um, especially the the stage before. And then watching that sprint and they're all just so dead and just like sprinting with all these little dead end of tour, end of hard stage <laughs> sprinters that aren't really sprinters. Uh, I thought it was just an incredible win. And I think that interview was probably one of the most posted interviews post stage and just the way that he described Uh, racing and the sacrifice and the work and how it's just so brutally hard all the time and you get to win maybe if you're lucky. Uh, So to to get to win on that stage was was pretty cool. Uh, I thought it's just, you know, a feel-good moment that everybody seemed to enjoy.
0: Yeah, I think I actually, while watching uh, the stage ended, they're doing some post-stage stuff. I initially like, flicked the channel for a second, and then I thought, oh, wait, no, he's, he's got to do that interview. I, I guess I should go back, and I'm really glad I did. I mean, that was really was the interview of the tour and, and one of the best I've ever seen. And I think Mohorich, I mean, at this point in his career, he's now won three tour stages. This is, it's, he's, he's a really good rider, and, and I feel like he's, because of the way he wins where it's breakaways, generally, he's someone who's, it's really hard to predict when he's going to win. So he, he kind of just, he goes many days without uh, showing up and then, bam, you know, takes, takes the big win. I thought he played that finale so well, uh, getting onto to Casper Asgreen's wheel. Also, you know, props to Casper Asgreen for being in contention two days in a row, winning a stage and being second the next day.
2: For but, sure, and but... he talks about in his interview, right, like being calm in the moment and, and even like we're saying with, Forgot y'all saying like, oh, maybe I should quit, right? Like he's saying that the top of the top, the best are saying like, oh, maybe it's too hard. I should stop. So to kind of hear that in an interview, you just know that everybody's feeling that in the moment and yeah. he just said that so well in his interview and about how the guy in front of you is pulling but you have to just remember he's dying and And I've had that thought in bike racing so often when you're just like they have to be dying they can't keep going and it's the only reason I lasted in a race as long as I did because you just believe that the people next to you have to be suffering as much as you're suffering because if you think the people around you are suffering less then that just just you know messes with your head way more so I just yeah I thought it was a beautiful interview.
0: Yeah hearing about you know, kind of a sense of imposter syndrome from a guy that has one Milan-San Remo and, and now <laughs> yeah. three tour stages. It's kind of like, okay, wow. Imagine how it feels to just be some guy who, or you know, just some rando behind him in in the peloton. Yeah, Cosmo. Any any moments that really stood out?
1: I mean, you two took the great ones. Uh, they You know, this is <laughs> these are the things that the tour will be remembered for for sure. Um, the thing that kind of struck me uh, was on stage 20 when we're at the bottom of the final climb of the tour and. Pogachar attacks and Vinigo attacks and no one else does anything because everyone else is just wrecked and there isn't a huge, you know, no one on Yumbo really has to do a huge response, right? They've got plenty of time to play with. Vinigo just has to not melt down. And it was just, to me, it was very like demonstrative of where we are in the race. And eventually Adam Yates got back up there, but it wasn't like Adam Yates set this up. It wasn't like Adam Yates came across. It was like, the two kind of rode and attacked and they talked and they kind of eased off. And then some of the GC riders kind of caught up to them. Um, And it's just, it it is, it's, I hate to say it's nice to see, uh, but it's certainly a contrast to some of the tours that were going on when I first started watching to see everyone so visibly destroyed and unable to contribute, uh, you know, their contribution is finishing and making it to the next day. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that, I mean, the route may have played a role, and I think just it really hats off to the organizers for this route, which kept us riveted through the first couple weeks and still provided plenty of entertainment into the last week. Even when the race was no longer close from a GC perspective, we still got some great stage battles throughout the last week. Uh, And I think that really comes down to this awesome route, which, you know, kind of weirdly didn't go to Brittany and Normandy and didn't spend any time on the French Riviera. And we're spending all this time in sort of South, Eastern Central France, and but it was great. It was fantastic. So uh, you know, really, hats off to the organizers for that. One other kind of moment, Cosmo, that you have uh, mentioned in our run sheet is is a is a descent that maybe passed under the radar of well anybody watching.
1: Yeah, the the descent from Col de la loz is not terrifying, but it's not easy either. And uh, Felix Gall went over it, I, I think, in the front of the peloton with like twenty seconds maybe, over Simon Yates, and I was just thinking back to the Tour de Suisse, where he, he also rode really well, but he, basically, he, he lost uh, his shot at the GC, kind of on a very scary descent, uh, at, and and it was kind of like, he was doing a post, like, almost at the bus, like, almost very casual, hey, you want to talk for a couple seconds, and they mentioned that, uh, I think it was Skelmosa, maybe it was someone else that talked about, you know, really, really turning up the heat on the descent, and Gall was already like, nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. And then kind of having that in your head, very recent history in your head, like nursing a little lead over a guy of Simon Yates caliber. uh, I was, you know, a little nervous about how he was going to descend uh, because you could lose plenty of time there if you weren't dialed and hitting all your lines. And he was dialed and hitting all his lines and uh, won the stage, held on and and actually opened up a bunch of time up, um, up that kind of runway finish at Courchevel. I, know, it's, I was I was stoked and he gave you know kind of a kind of a vulnerable interview like it was really good to you know win this for the team and Ben O'Connor came up and gave him a big hug in the middle of the interview and I don't know that was so great I I it was I I felt there was some intrigue there but
0: the the fact that yeah I mean I, I didn't even really think about that the the, the turnaround really from descending at Suisse versus here I mean it really isn't that long like it took Thibaut Pino years to go from you know his lower level descending to being decent at it and it I, apparently I, would, I wouldn't say Cole well. was bad at it. It was just like right. this yeah.
1: was a yeah. moment that he would realize was hard and was nervous about and people basically beat him on it um and that, you know shake that off and come through with the tour win yeah, pretty good
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty big race and yeah another really good interview a lot of great a lot of great interviews So, you know, cat's off to Seb Piquet in the the post-race interview department, I guess, just getting him to say great stuff. All right, unheralded riders. I wanted to herald someone real quick because he has raced in quite a few Grand Tours over the course of his very long career. Jonathan Castroviejo is 36 years old. He has raced in 17 Grand Tours. This was his ninth Tour de France. And despite being a stalwart of the Sky slash INEOS squad for the last several years i feel like he kind of doesn't get that much credit for being as good as he is he's a time trial star he's won six national titles uh, he has only won he's won one single world tour race in his entire career but at this tour like at every other grand tour he was just kind of a constant presence in the team he's got a big engine he can climb pretty darn well for the engine that he has he ended up finishing 15th overall while helping Carlos Rodriguez and uh, you know Tom Pitcock when Pitcock was still kind of in the mix before he had his utter complete implosion uh, in the mountains in the last week. But yeah, I think Castroviejo has been a, a really great addition for this team the last few years, and I, I sort of feel for him in that he signed with the squad after a few years at Movistar. And basically since, the, since he signed with the squad, the sort of Sky Ineos juggernaut has really kind of sputtered a little bit, and that's not his fault. And so I feel like if he had a great GC rider on his team that was going for podiums and Grand Tour wins every year, we would talk about him being this great domestique, like we talk about a Wilco Kelderman or whatever. But he he doesn't really have that right now. Uh, Maybe Carlos Rodriguez will change that. Uh, But, you know, Castroviejo's 36, so I don't know how many chances we're going to get to herald him. So I'm going to herald him here for finishing so highly in so many mountain stages where he was there for his teammates. And, you know, he doesn't win a lot of races, but he's a constant presence and... Chapo, Jonathan Castroviejo, at this point in your career, you deserve a little bit of heralding. All right, what did the, the tour tell us about maybe our two contenders first? Did we did we come away from this race thinking anything about Pogacar, Vingago, uh anything we learned? For me, the big thing was the time trial. I think Vingago showed us he can time trial pretty darn well. Because I have to say, you, you guys saw this coming. Uh, you told me that, hey, did you see last year's race? And I said, yeah, but... <laughs> But you're right. Jonas, Jonas Vingegaard can really time trial pretty darn well. And Pogacar had a longer track record of time traveling very well. And I still contend he did time trial quite well, even if he wasn't maybe as good as he could have been. Uh, but Jonas Vingegaard crushed him. And that is something that we're going to have to keep an eye on in the future. If we see a race with a lot of time trial mileage, well, that may be advantage Vingegaard.
1: I, I think it actually kind of tells us more about uh, Pogacar's team, maybe, in terms of their approach to time trials, they, they'd interviewed pagachar the previous day before. He's like, yeah, you know, I know the time trial course, <laughs> like very kind of casually. It's like, yeah, I've seen it. Maybe I've ridden it. It was not, once he got out on the road, in addition to looking a little hungover, um, he was not precise on the bike. He did a lot of, there were a lot of kind of climbing sections where you could see him sort of wander on the road. And it's like, you're pedaling a bike as hard as you possibly can for 22 minutes. Like it's really hard to go straight but you watch Vinigo and he's railing everything literally from the first corner. It looks like as hard as he can possibly push the bike. And then having a bike change when it was obviously not going to net time, like none of the other GC contenders changed their bike. Um, I've heard lots of things about how heavy uh, Pagachar's bike is. And they've known this course since last October. The fact that they couldn't come up with, you know, something where Pagachar had every single corner dialed and had a bike that would work for the entire course so he didn't have to stop and change bikes and then start pedaling again. Just it, it, it really kind of revealed maybe a, a lack, or maybe at least I shouldn't say a lack, a different style of preparation than I think we saw with Yumbo Visma, um, where, right. like, you know, we, we saw it in, in the Netflixified version of of the race last year where they're really, kind of conscientious and, and practice and have a plan and when things go sideways that didn't work in their favor as we saw at the rebase stage last year but when it's something like a time trial where the whole point of the race is to not have things go sideways they can really really dominate and i think the the UAA team really it needs to sit down with its sponsors and with its equipment consultants and figure out how do we patch this hole up uh
0: for next year uh ruth jonas finger go I know you had a a point about the way that he was racing.
2: I think he just raced like he was there to win it, you know? Uh, and I think we saw that. I totally agree with, with everything you're saying. He obviously had to have good legs, um, but he just looked so confident, and, like, he, it was just his race, and everyone else was there to beat him, and nobody else could do it.
0: That is, it is interesting. I feel like we've seen Pogacar race that way so much all year. And at the tour, Vingo, especially in the final week, was, like, I'm gonna win this thing and... I
2: wonder if he already kind of knew it in his head you know like you'd we'd seen him trying to be impressive and it's not that he hadn't been but it's just like he wasn't as dominant as he had been and in a tt when it's just you against the clock I just am so curious like where his where uh Pogacar's head was at that point that day going into it because if you're not feeling it before then like if he was feeling on top of the world I think we would have seen it but he obviously wasn't and i'm wondering when i'm wondering when he started to feel that way
0: yeah i mean the the eye test and i i do i'm very hesitant to say or to draw much out of that with bike racing because so often i feel like we see riders who look bad and all of a sudden they just like crush everybody they go on the attack they're playing mind games all along or whatever and that happens a fair bit the opposite happens too where someone looks great and then they drop like a stone you're really you're both right though i mean bringing up how the riders looked Vinkigo looked Great. I mean, out of that first corner, watching Viggo time trial, the first corner was like, okay, he looks pretty good. He's
1: a first corner that people had crashed on, that like was not trivial. <laughs> and
0: yeah, yeah, he looks fast. And Pogacar, on the other hand, yeah, didn't didn't look great. And I, yeah, that was definitely something that was very apparent very quickly. I do think with Pogacar, I I, I don't know. Obviously, the 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 Twitter discourse is always suspect but I think there are some people saying oh maybe Pogacar should focus on this or that or you know drawing conclusions from the tour like Pogacar clearly needs to do xyz in the future to me like you said Cosmo, it was really the one big bad day was the main was the main reason he lost the tour I think and I don't really know that what we can even say about that he had one big bad day he came into the race with not great preparation because he broke his wrist can we really say that that's gonna ever it's gonna happen like this exactly again just because it happened this one time on this one bad day? I don't know. And I think in general, he climbed pretty darn well throughout the race.
2: I was wondering if we were gonna bring up this subject of what he should be doing, how he should be preparing <laughs> the spring, the not the spring, blah, blah, blah. And to me, I just feel like he just he's this passionate rider that everybody loved to watch see so race, yeah. right? And that's just how he races. And I don't think it's impossible that he wins a tour. De France again but um, I I do think that there is a difference in riding style and it's harder to race that way on a three-week stage race every day and it's going to be more fatiguing eventually versus just staying steady and saying true and just doing what you need to do and focus on the days and the places you know you'll win later like even if it's in week three versus just wanting to put on a good show and race your bike right away everyone's just like he's just a bike racer he just wants to race his bike and that's why he does also, so well in the spring, and I don't think it's that Vindigo doesn't want to, but that obviously just different style of bike riders. Um, And I just think it's interesting to kind of see that, uh, not to totally change the subject, but I think we see that a little bit with Tom Pitcock too. I think that he just like really loves to race in this really exciting way. And I'm super interested to see if he'll ever be able to do better in these big stage races because he just needs his brain to be so occupied by the bike race. And when it's just ride your bike caught up a hill for X amount of time, like at some point, that gets a little boring and it just is suffering, but it's not exciting. And I don't know. I think that, I think it's an interesting conversation, but I don't think that we should ever wish for Pogacar to be different than he is because totally. he makes the sport what it is today.
1: A lot of that kind of, when I hear it, it kind of sort of resonates in my head with what I said earlier about, you know, it's not, it's just not losing for 20 days. And Pogachar is a guy who wants to win and does a lot. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I like Pagachar as Pagachar, even if it means he only wins two Tours de France. Oh, no. Well,
0: the other thing is, I don't... He's he, he's now, as of, like, now, no longer a white jersey contender. He's so young. And he's so good. And he's so much better than literally everybody else in this race, except for Jonas Vingago. So to just, like, look ahead and extrapolate, like, Jonas Vingago's not going to have a bad day ever for the next several years, there's... I don't think that... That's going to happen. I mean, it's going to be close battles, I think, from here on out for a while. And people, I remember when when Egon Bernal won his tour, it was like, man, how many tours is Egon Bernal going to win? Is anybody ever going to win again? Well, obviously, that didn't go the way that Bernal hoped, and it didn't help that he crashed into a bus, and that's horrible for him. But that's the way the sport goes sometimes. And people who are saying now, well, will anybody ever beat Jonas Viga go again? Probably. Yeah, I think so. You can't wait. Like, even Chris Froome, in the middle of his dominant years, crashed and then crashed again and broke both arms or something. Like, it, it happens. It's bike racing. <laughs> yeah. I'm referring to 2014 when he crashed one day. He broke one wrist, crashed yep. the next day. Yeah. It happens. It's bike racing. Bad stuff happens. People crash. And so, yeah, I think I think is going to be here, and he's going to keep doing his thing, and I hope he does because it's fun to watch. And I hope Jonas Zungigo continues to be the incredible beast GC racer that he has been. I love that he is going to the Vuelta. I'm so excited about that. I would love to see him in Primoz Roglic. I, you know, a little inter-team drama wouldn't be the worst thing for the entertainment value. And I'm looking forward to that. I just hope both of these riders continue to give us the great tour that, that they gave us. Uh, I do want to kind of rate the tour out of five because that's what everybody does and it's fun. But before I do that, I do think Jasper Phillipson showed us that he's the best friend in the world right now. And we haven't really seen a dominant number one, clearly the obvious best men's sprinter in a little while it's been a little while since somebody was so dominant uh you know there was cav when he won a bunch of stages two years ago but you know in the end that kind of was a little bit of a one-off i mean he didn't even go to the tour for reasons that are more complicated than just you know not being informed the next year but Phillipson is the guy right now i mean he is the guy right now and even if he didn't win the, the champs Elysees sprint he has gone from being the guy that it couldn't really win the tour stage in what Two years ago to now being the guy to beat. And I'm pretty impressed by that, even if his methods are not always the savoriest, most savory. Yeah. All right. Now that I've said that, let's rate the tour out of five. Ruth, what do you think?
2: I put down a 4.6. I thought it was really exciting. I don't really remember many tolls where I don't want to miss a day. Like, normally it gets to a point, and I'm just like, meh, okay. We'll just pick it up again in a few days, but i don't know i thought it was a really good a good battle the whole way through um so that's why i gave it at almost five like i don't really know what else i would want from at all so it pretty much provided me everything that i wanted
1: except wouldn't for the, that i that would have liked five, to
2: win well yeah but i feel like <laughs> you know there's always a little bit of speculation if cav hadn't crashed out things like this that would have he's a you know a hero i used to say when i was young i'm going to quit bike racing once I meet Cavendish and I and I never actually have ever met him. But I do have a video of him saying hi to me. Wait, I'm is that sure why you're still
0: like but... racing gravel? Because you haven't met Cav yet? It's like Yeah,
2: I'm hoping one day he'll I don't know, come over to gravel racing. No, please don't. I'm gonna go back to road racing before then. Um and you know, it's a little things like that. But I I really feel like I got everything I wanted to. I was gonna say I do I would have liked Phillipson to win the last day. I think it was a really exciting sprint, like awesome, full people across the road, super exciting. So that was great. But there would have been something magical about him winning that. Um, but yeah, good tour and
1: Cosmo. I I I am of many minds about this. I, before, you know, I it it somewhat irks me that it was determined by a, an off day in the GC category. But then I think about something like Stage 19, uh, which was just really good. And um, yeah, like there were a lot of good, like a lot of the non G C non-sprint days were pretty interesting. Um I don't know, probably a four. I I don't know. I I don't I I struggle with this all the time, this this five point scale thing. Um on Untapped, I'm like basically every beer is like a 3.7. Uh untapped is a beer rating app. Um this was this was a this was a very this was a very good tour. This was a really good tour. It was really exciting most of the time, even if the GC ended up with a wide deficit. I, it, it should probably be like a 4.2. I don't know. I, I would say 4.2. I don't know. It's so hard. The thing is, tours get so bad though, right? Like when they're bad, they're bad. You're just like, oh my God, is the tour still on? Like yeah. this thing ended seven weeks ago. Like T- Sky has seven people on the front on every climb.
0: I was originally going to give this a four and then I heard Ruth talk and I said, yeah, <laughs> she's right. It's better than a four. It is better <laughs> than a four. It's better than I a think four. I think I, I only give it a 4.5. And I think the only, the thing that kept it from being a five was that I, I do kind of wish, yeah, one, if Cav had been in the race and we'd been able to see him, d- d- not to say that I wanted to necessarily break the record. I just wanted to have seen him be there and try. That would have been Contested. great. Contest it. Yep. And then also, I wish the race had been, I mean, okay, this is maybe a pipe dream, but decided on Lamarstein instead of a few days before that. That, that would have been the dream, that they're actually that close all the way. To that last mountain stage.
1: And the racetrack stage was silly. And we didn't get any crosswinds. We didn't get any cobbles. There wasn't Ventoux or Alpe d'Huez. But we had Puy de Dome, which we haven't seen in forever. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Close to a five. Not quite. Certainly a lot better than some tours not that long ago. All right. That is the 2023 Tour de France. Oh. And... If you like good bike racing, you're in luck because there's still plenty of Tour de France action for the next few days because the Tour de France Femme is underway. And if you've been listening to our podcasts, you will know that the Tour de France Daily pods are rolling on with Abby and Matanif and Kate Wagner. They're all on the ground in France at the moment covering the action at the Tour de France Femme. We've now seen two stages since... The start of the race, so we are recording after stage two here. Uh, quick rundown of what's happened so far. Cosmo, after two days,
2: where are
1: there we? Was, there was a there was a first stage that was not exciting until it was very exciting. A lot of Capecchi kind of broke away as, as este works was setting the pace up the final climb. She got away clear and, and soloed into the line. Um, with enough room to keep the jersey with some confidence until things get super hilly. Uh, today we kind of had an up and down all day day. Uh, it got very exciting in the end with some rain and uh, ended up with Estee Works setting it up for Capecchi again and Liana Lippert, who rides really well in the rain, I found out today, uh, coming by or just out sprinting her into the line. Rumors that Capecchi's rear tire was kind of flat-ish, but still really another really exciting day. Uh, she retains the lead, but um, yeah, it's it's been good so far.
0: All right, quick overarching point before we draw too many conclusions. I just want to say that going into this race, I know that Kaylee and company over on the placeholders were skeptical of spending so much time in Clermont-Ferrand. And over the course of the race, they seem to really take a a liking to the area. And now, after like a jillion stages between the men's and women's races in that area, seems like a great place for bike racing. We've gotten some really good stages in and around Clermont-Ferrand, so... Good on the organizers, and uh, I'm assuming good on Clermont-Ferrand for paying a ton of money uh, to host the Tour for so much of this year's, you know, combined men's and women's races. Uh, we've gotten some good racing out of Clermont-Ferrand. Anyway, so far, any, anything big that, you know, early impressions that we've taken out of the, the Tour de France Femme? I mean, SD Works is good, right? That, that seems like a, a thing.
2: And they raced like for the first time in the first stage. I feel like we don't watch them ride on the front that much until they really need to. Um, and that could have just been their tactic the whole day because they had the whole peloton almost watching Damien. Like that was the plan for her to just be like on the front a bit. Uh, but just in general, they were just riding together as a team on the front more than I think that we normally see SD Works do that. Which I really do think it kind of distracted everyone because when Kopecky went, everyone was like, "No, wait, why is this happening?" Because Jamie <laughs> was on the front, so maybe, maybe it was like kind of a, a weird, good, good tactic for them. And I just thought it's really cool because yeah, Kopecky obviously has the confidence behind her; she can ride as hard as she wants. And just the composition of the group, still nobody wanted to chase, and it's still really frustrating. You're just like why is no like why did no one go? And maybe Mavi Garcia kind of tried, but not really. Like she was just there, and she's like, "Oh, is this?" Is this actually happening? And won't really went. It um, was so. It was a really exciting, exciting finish. Exciting to see them kind of try that tactic. I'd like to think that it was all done on purpose. <laughs> uh,
0: a really cool tactic, and it uh, just kind of reminds me of how, and you know, maybe how silly it was that a month, a couple of months ago, we're all, some of us are at least saying, "Oh man, in, intra-team strife <laughs> over there. Two riders not, then not looking like they're getting along." And man, I, they they have a good operation over there because it certainly seems like things are really clicking at the moment. Doesn't doesn't seem like a lot of strife right now. So good for them for, for yeah, just doing what they do over at SD Works year after year after year. Uh, anything that flew under the radar maybe in the first two days so far that our listeners uh, might have missed?
1: Ben Vloten continues to tempt the bike gods with. <laughs> being in weird places at the wrong time. It was actually kind of funny. That she got caught up behind a little crash because she was in a bad spot uh, heading up one of the climbs today. I think the biggest climb of the day, actually. Um, and the interviewer asked her, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you crashed today. And she's on the trainer. She's like, oh, I didn't crash. You didn't crash. There was a crash in front of me. I got caught up and I put, fit, put a foot down, but I didn't crash. And I'm like, does it matter that much? Like, shouldn't you just be up where you're, where this isn't going to happen in the first place? But... That's the My theory kind of my is that she
0: listens to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing podcast, she's hoping to win the race, and then in the final interview, she's going to say, see, Cosmo, it doesn't matter. I can I, still win I, no I,
1: what, she, you know? she consistently proves me wrong. Um, I, yeah. I, what am I going to tell her? Hey, you could win the race more easily if you listen to me? Like, I don't know.
2: I don't think I had um, necessarily something that flew under the radar. I do wanna just say how cool it was that Liana won today. I think she's a really awesome uh, woman. And when I first was teammates with her, she, I mean, she could speak English just fine, but she was much more timid and now she's just like blossomed into this uh, funny funny athlete to watch. And she's not always as modest. I always feel like she like puts a little bit out there too soon. And I just think she sprinted so smartly today. She knew she had to go early. Um, it was kind of a similar sprint from what we saw in the men on the Champs-Élysées. Just you have to trick the sprinter to go sooner and just really drug it out and so all that power. And it was just really exciting to watch her post-race interview and just be so giddy about it. Um, so I thought very exciting finish. Two very exciting days so far. And I'm really excited to see the rest of it.
1: In her post-race interview, that she she said she's like she couldn't quite believe it. She's like there must have been a break up the road. <laughs> it's just like that's so cute. <laughs> like it's just it's like the sort of thing that you know when you're not expecting to win and you win, you're like, what went wrong that I'm winning? You know I don't know. It was very cool. Because she's <laughs> I, a very I good rider. To see
0: her take a win. I mean, she has been so close in so many races this year. If you're not counting the you know national championships in Germany, she hasn't she hadn't won yet uh, this year, and she was so close. I mean, she was a she was just a Demi volering away from winning Flesh, Okay, I, I, I guess that's a, a pretty big difference. But she's been very close all year, and to see her kind of pull through was was great. Uh, and, and yeah, more, more power to Leanna Lippert. Still only 25. Uh, all right, we've got six stages left, and I think the GC battle will really heat up in the coming days. Lada Kapecki, as of right now, has a 49-second advantage. I don't think she can hold that. Um right? Even, even a lot of Kopecky, she's very talented, but yeah. So Mountain Stage is coming up where she will probably cede the lead, uh, possibly to her teammate. Uh, it's Stages 7 and 8 that are going to be, I think, the big decisive ones. So we'll probably have a pretty close battle until then, until we have a Stage 7 that goes up the Tourmalet and then the race finishes with the time trial in Poe. Uh, so one would imagine another very close race ahead of us here until those last few days. Lots to look forward to. So, hope you have a chance to watch the rest of the race, and obviously you should be listening to the Tour Dailies from the ground in France, where Abby, Matt Denif, Kate Wagner, and any other number of voices that they're going to get on the pod, they got a bunch of great diarists, audio diarists. It's, it's a fun time here at the podcasting network of the Escape Collective, and... You should go sign up at escapecollective.com slash join. If you haven't already, we'd love to have you as a member. We'll be back next week with more Tour de France Femme to talk about. And somehow, I guess, Worlds is coming up soon, too. And, and then there's a Vuelta where the guy that just won the Tour is going to... There's, there's so much racing to look forward to here. Hope you have a chance to watch all of it. I hope you have a chance to listen to all of our podcasts. Cosmo, Ruth, great talking to you. We'll see you when we see you.